Hello and welcome to Talking Football, the Bundesliga show, your source for all things German football. My name is Nick Biltagen and I'm delighted to welcome you to our English Woche edition. Joining me today is book author waiting to be published, one of the regulars of the Sound of Football podcasts, and ever-moving man, it is Terry DeFallon. How are you today, Terry? I'm extremely well, Nick. I've just spent an extremely pleasant um, uh, hour and a half or so in your company, so I'm positively in the pink, you might say. <laughs> Results going your way does help. Um, well, as this is the English Woche edition of our podcast, we'll be doing things slightly differently. Uh, Terry and I, we've just watched Werder take on PVB, and we'll be focusing on that match as the main part of uh, part one of the show. Afterwards, we'll run down Tuesday's results. However, in part two, you'll be hearing about Wednesday's results, but you won't be hearing us. No, instead, you'll be hearing Mr. Matt Herman and Schalke podcaster Jack Mangan, who are going to be there talking about the Royal Blues match against Freiburg and the rest of the results from match day 12. Auf geht's! So here we are with part one of Talking Foosball, English Woche edition. So, there was a bit of a bombshell on Sunday, as we told you on the last episode of Talking Foosball. Lucien Favre was fired from his coaching position at Borussia Dortmund. Three matches without a win were enough to see his hat on the chopping block. Now, Terry, you are a Borussia Dortmund fan. Do you, do you really think it was necessary to let Favre go? I think it probably was necessary because I suspect that uh, he'd lost uh, confidence in the dressing room. Uh, I think we can uh, just refer back to Matt Hummel's post-match remarks um, after the game um, against Stuttgart and uh, the things that he said about the style of play and about how things were going and how they weren't going. Uh, and I felt that this was the kind of criticism that um, was unguarded um, and only really said by a top professional when he has the confidence to know that, you know, he has a significant amount of the dressing room who probably uh, uh, agree with that opinion. And so I suspect that the uh, that the board that Hans-Joachim Vatska and Michael Zork really didn't feel as if they had many options but to make a change. Um, I would imagine, actually, if it had been left up to them, they would have rather have kept him. I think there are compelling reasons why Lucien Favre could have stayed. Um, but I think there's a couple of things you've got to consider on the plus side. And this is something that you've pointed out on previous podcasts, Nick, and, and I'll, I'll forgive me for stealing your thunder on this part. But you're quite right to point out that Lucien Favre's average points per game um, is only beaten by Thomas Tuchels as a Dortmund coach. Um, and that is a relevant stat because Favre's job really has been to keep Dortmund relevant as a team, keep them in the Champions League, keep them in the top four. You've got to then put that up against the fact that you know, we were Dortmund were in this kind of position this time last year. Uh, heavy defeat to Eintracht Frankfurt this time. But instead of changing the coach, they bought Haaland. And Haaland came in and really transformed the team with his goals. You could argue, in fact, that Favre didn't necessarily offer that much more uh, and now that Harland of course is injured it's kind of made things worse and you know, the, the Cologne result was a, a was an appalling one and so I, I feel that it's probably the best thing to do but and here is the massive but I am genuinely not certain as to who would be a suitable replacement for him 
I'm not quite certain who would really fill his shoes. Who is the next Dortmund coach who would necessarily improve that team? Nicholas, perhaps perhaps you shall have some insights on that rather than me. <laughs> well, um, we talked actually about this during the match because what we found out is whenever Borussia Dortmund have taken a championship, they've usually taken it with managers who weren't really top-class managers or thought of top-class managers when they arrived at Dortmund, but rather made their name at Dortmund. You had Otmar Hitzfeld in the 90s, taking two championships. After that, you had Matthias Sommer, who, well, he had, he had a pretty good team at his hands that was bought for a lot of money with the likes of Marcio Amoroso and Tom, Thomas Rzitzky and Jan Kolle, but still, nevertheless, unproven quantity as a coach. And... The next guy taking two championships with Dortmund was actually Jürgen Klopp, who, well, he had coached Mainz. He's done reasonably well with them, but, um, you know, he never could, could have known what sort of potential he had with a bigger team. That's always a big question when it comes to these coaches from fashionable lower to mid-table mid size that have outdone themselves. Some of these coaches go to bigger teams and then just fade, in, fade away into irrelevance. Jürgen Klopp definitely hasn't. You know, I think I think the the answer might be that you're not looking for a big name, because what these championships many of us have have told us is that Dortmund win the championship whenever they are doing something that surprises the rest of the league and catches Bayern at a weak point, because they were playing different football under Hitzfeld that was um, very modern at this time. They introduced a completely new sort of style of football in the German league under Jürgen Klopp. So if you go for an established coach who goes for established tactics, Bayern are probably just going to be fine. I mean, I know that the talk is with Marco Rosa and I can get that. And that is a consistent Dortmund hire, definitely. You know, I mean, you can make arguments about the, the size of the club of Borussia Mönchengladbach by comparison to Borussia Dortmund, but I would suggest to you objectively that Dortmund is an upgrade for a coach of, 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 of Gladbach, and, and I think that Rosa would be an exciting choice for that. But you're still talking about the same kind of coach, you know, sort of, yeah, I mean, clearly a good coach, not necessarily the top class one. When I uh, scroll, doom scroll through Dortmund Twitter, um, what I'm presented with is a feeling that there is that this isn't enough, and that it's possible. Uh, this is a massive judgment, and people may think I'm being unfair, but it's possible that there are a lot of Dortmund fans who perhaps have kind of grown up, so to speak, or come through with the Klopp years, uh, and maybe have a feeling about Dortmund that they should be competing for silverware. They should be winning titles. They should be challenging Bayern. Um, and that they should be hiring coaches that meet that expectation, that meet those ambitions. And I'm not entirely certain that, that that's actually how it is and how it works. Um, and I can see you could get... I can, I can perfectly see a situation in a few years. You know, Marco Rosa comes in in the summertime. He does a really, really good job. He gets them going really, really well. Bayern chip up, go into a slight decline, which... I don't know. They're having a tough season right now, but everyone's having a tough season right now. It's COVID. You know, there's nothing really to suggest that Bayern are actually in going, looking at a period of decline. If anything, they're looking like they're going through a period of successful renewal. They're just having a, a few dodgy results because of COVID. 
Um, but if that was to happen, then I think it's conceivable that, that Dortmund under Rosa would be there to capitalise in a way that perhaps Dortmund under Favre would not have been. And I can get that and I'm, I'm on board with that. But I mean, you're looking, you're asking, you're looking at things happening outside of Dortmund's control in order to do, in order to do that. Um, and, and I think if you're looking at Dortmund maybe to try and, you know, take control of the Bundesliga to win something outright, then I don't know, I think you're in trouble with that reasoning. And I think that's why ultimately the top, top, top coaches are probably not attracted to Borussia Dortmund because they know that Bayern are the top dogs in the Bundesliga. I mean, this would never happen. But let's say, for example, a coach like Mourinho, who you know has in the past won stuff, probably wouldn't be interested in going to Dortmund because one, he'd have to play youngsters, and he's pathologically averse to doing so. But also, you know, I don't think he would necessarily see it as an opportunity to win silverware. Um, and you, people will argue, oh, Mourinho is a terrible idea for a coach at Dortmund, but they're right. But the point I'm trying to make is is that if you go for an A-list top table coach, they're not likely to come. To Borussia Dortmund, despite the fact that Dortmund are a regular, you know, Champions League club, um, and have until fairly recently, you know, have been, you know, a, a Bundesliga title-winning club. Indeed, and um, you know, the name who's now in charge for probably the rest of the season is Edin Terzic. Uh, there was some writing on Kicker and Deutsche Welle and other media outlets that he's the sort of bloke who's very much inspired by Klopp and Tuchel. Now he's had just about one day with that side so really haven't seen his fingerprints all over that team we have to wait until January to see a little bit more of that but what do you make of Borussia Dortmund's performance on the day against Werder Bremen this was definitely an important must-win match for them wasn't it well let me turn this back on you because I'm conscious of the fact that I'm speaking a lot in this what do you what do you make of Werder Bremen's contribution to Borussia Dortmund's uh, victory I mean Werder Bremen were gifted a goal by Borussia Dortmund when they sloppily gave away the ball in defense and um i mean i mean all three goals in this match were pretty much gifts first goal but just ball watching uh you know quick quick feet nice skills from sancho and uh yeah uh in the end the ball gets to guerrero who just puts it into the net from short distance second goal of the match verder bremen Kevin Merwell with a shot that was placed in a lovely manner and that defeated Roman Berkey and then the third goal was actually a penalty which wasn't converted but the tap was pretty much left to tap in the, the rebound was left to tap in for Michael Royce which was just needlessly given away by Jerry Pavlenka so um, I think neither side was at its best Werder Bremen are, have now given away three silver penalties in the last three matches yeah, I think I think it was a it was a game that both coaches should be disappointed about in terms of the performance. Dortmund should be worried about the way they didn't take a lot of decent chances, and Werder Bremen were just dreadful. Yeah, if Werder Bremen were pretty dreadful. It's got to be said. Yeah, I mean, I th- certainly think that Dortmund could have won that game by could have won that game by a greater margin. Football is funny, and you know, it doesn't. You don't always get. You know, rewarded with what you what you've got. I mean, I think the the key point for me, I think, was probably when Kofeld decided to take Osaka off, and at that point, you know, you've decided that you know you're not trying to win this game, and that was the game was one one by that point, and 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 you decided that you're going to go for the for the um, for the draw. Now, obviously, that decision didn't lead to Pavlenka's um, 
a, a mistake and penalty and penalty uh, uh, concession. But it, once that happened, you've then got yourself in a position where you're trying to find your way back into the game without one of your best attacking midfielders or your only arguably decent attacking midfielder um, you know, in, in your attack. And this is the problem. You know when you when you. When you go with the strategy, it's a reasonable strategy. You're 1-1, you're coming towards the end of the game, midway through the second half. Let's tell you what, let's be cautious. But, you know, football throws up mistakes and, and, and good and bad luck. And Pavlenka is a fine goalkeeper and a fine professional who would, you, you would not normally associate with those, necessarily with those kind of, of, of lapses of judgment. Um, and yet this is the day in which he chooses to have one. And then, you know, he lets Dortmund back in and there's no way back, really. Uh, at that point for Bremen and it's uh, it, it's it's a sadness it's a shit day at the office for all the other players I think we can agree about that for both of us so let's just run down the rest of the results for before we throw over to Matt and Jack so uh, the first match of the match was actually Eintracht Frankfurt against Borussia Mönchengladbach that was actually a thrilling 3-3 draw at uh, first Gladbach took the lead through a brilliant last Stindl free kick go onto YouTube if you haven't seen it but that free kick caused the Eagles to properly kick it to gear, scoring three goals in the space of 10 minutes through a brace by uh, Andre de Silva and Barcock getting one goal there as well, giving them a 3-1 lead at halftime. The second half saw VAR take a penalty away from Frankfurt. And to make matters worse, David Abraham, the captain, was sent off for a second yellow card infringement and Gladbach managed to snatch two goals in the last six minutes of the match, one through a penalty, actually, to bring the game back to a 3-3 draw. What a start to the match day that was. Entertaining match, Terry, but unfortunately... This draw wasn't really enough for neither team, was it? No, not really good enough for either side. But I mean, I think Eintracht have got to be gutted about that to concede, you know, two goals in in a second half, particularly so late in the game. I mean, and Barcock's goal. I mean, like if you t- you talk about Stindl's uh, free kick, Barcock's goal is a thing of beauty. In fact, both the open play goals by uh, by Eintracht were superb. Uh, Andre Silva's uh, goal was beautifully timed shot, and Barcock's use of feet absolutely gorgeous. Very very gutting indeed for Antrack Frankfurt indeed and uh, you know talking about entertaining draws there was also high flying Stuttgart taking on Union Berlin who are sort of high flies as well and it looked like this was going to go the Iron Ones way as they got an early goal through Mario Andrich and a header by Taiwo Avonini doubled the advantage for the Iron Ones in the 77th minute but somehow Stuttgart didn't give up and they pulled one back through Sasak Lajic in the 85th minute and things got even better for the Swabians as they equalized five minutes later so the game ended 2-2 great entertainment for both for the fans watching on the television sets um, where do you see these two sides going both of them are actually in with a shout for Europe as things stand do you think they have the potential to stay in that race? I think it's entirely possible. Absolutely. Why not? Uh, I, I mean, you, you would think that that there's a good chance, certainly Stuttgart might run out of steam, but I've got no evidence with which to base that on whatsoever beyond the fact that they're a promoted side. Um, but but I, I think we've seen plenty from both of these teams to see that they are not messing about at all. Excellent. And uh, finally, let's close out the round. Let's close out this segment by mentioning the most disappointing result of the match day. 
especially for Mr. Matt Herman, who's just about to take over for, for us. Uh, that was Herter's draw against Mainz. That was a nil-nil draw. That didn't really see any of those two sides making any strides at the table. Mainz are still in the bottom two. And Herter are not really producing the big city club results that, you know, this big city club thinks it deserves. Any thoughts on this match, or should we should we just leave it with 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 my snarky comments? No, I think your snarky comments are absolutely right. And in fact, frankly, Nick, I echo them, but I won't repeat them uh, because, yeah, why why put fans of both of those teams through any further indignity? All right, so Terry Defal, thanks for being on once again. Where can we follow you on Twitter? Uh, well, you can go to Terry Defal on Twitter, and you can talk to me about my terrible Dortmund opinions there. Ah, excellent. That is simple enough. You can follow me at more musings. And, you know, there will be just a short musical interlude. And after that, Matt and Jack are going to be back to talk about all of Schalke's troubles and their home match against Freiburg. Stay tuned for that. Should be fun. All right. Thank you very much, Nick. So yeah, we're fast forwarding now into Wednesday's action. And, uh, you know, a lot of the top teams were in action. In fact, the top three teams in the league were in action. And in fact, they all notched wins. So um, just about everybody held serve. But actually, what I really wanted to do, and I feel we're a bit overdue on, is to check in on the poor folks down at the bottom who, uh, you know, they've, they've been waiting for close to a year now to see a win from their team. Uh, it's 28 games and counting because Schalke went down again on Wednesday at home to SC Freiburg. Jack Mangan is here from the Schalke America podcast. I'm really psyched that you can join us. And I just want to start things off with, are you all right? <laughs> I am. I am okay. Uh, about as good as I could be, I think, uh, given given the circumstances of what Schalke supporters have had to uh, watch as a weekly product, uh, basically since since January of uh, of 2020, as you said, slowly approaching, rapidly approaching, really um, a year now without without a victory. So uh, I am doing okay. But I, I thank you for having me on. This is a this is a program that I've listened to for a number of years, even before I was in podcasting myself. So obviously, love talking football and pleasure to be with you. Yeah, the pleasure is really all mine because I, I feel like you're going to have a lot better idea than I do just what the hell is going on with Schalke. I looked at this final week of the eh, semi-Hinrunde. I mean, we're ending after, you know, 13 games this season going into the, the miniature winter break. So we can't quite say that it's been an entire half season, but we're getting towards it. I thought in this last little English Woche when Schalke had you know, away to Augsburg, home to Freiburg, and then home again to Bielefeld. I looked at this and I thought, if there's a time when Schalke is going to snap out of this, it ought to be now. And, and it would benefit them a whole lot if it were now, because these are more or less direct rivals for, you know, either relegation or, or somewhere near it. I don't want to insult Augsburg fans, because they're a little better than that, to be frank. But these are winnable games, potentially, and they're not winning them. Um, what happened against Freiburg, do you think? Well, first of all, I couldn't agree with you more. This is exactly what we've been saying on the podcast as well as this last, you know, three-game stretch um, is, is critical for us to try to get a result before the mini Winterpause this season because, you know, we, we started off this season uh, <laughs> four of the first five are against 
opponents that are currently in the top six, I believe. Uh, you know, Bayern, Leipzig, Dortmund, uh, Union Berlin as well. Werder Bremen really being the only team in that mix that's struggling quite a bit. And so, um, yeah, but now we have this, this you know, stretch of games going in going into the break that you would think would be um, slightly more achievable. I think everything's difficult at this point, given how Schalke is playing. Um, but, uh, yeah, and then as we continue to struggle to get wins, every time you play a team that's closer to you in the bottom of the table, you don't want to use the term relegation six-pointer, but um, it becomes more and more of a thing as time goes on. So, uh, you know, as far as, as, far as Freiburg goes, a um, little bit of a down season, obviously, this year, but we all know what Christian Strike has accomplished with that team uh, in, in recent seasons and, and, you know, how, how strong they are generally anyway. Um, and this is a Schalke team that's incredibly mentally fragile, which, which is arguably the biggest issue at the moment, um, although it's hard to put emphasis on one specific thing because the problems are so numerous and deep. But uh, decent first half against this, against Freiburg today. And then, you know, once that first goal in went in, you, you unfortunately see the heads drop. You see a little drop in activity as well. And, and it really, I don't really feel like we ever got back into the game after that point. Um, and so it's, it's very much same old, same old. You try to look for things to hold on to. You try to look for positives to take away from matches. And occasionally you'll get a 45 minutes from the squad that is decent or passable compared to what we've seen recently. And then at some point in the match, it still kind of all falls apart for us. All right. I mean, we all know that this is a, this is a problem team in the Bundesliga. I mean, this is a team that uh, if it stays on the course that it's on, then there's no question this is a team that's going to go down. The sort of the biggest move that that you know the the board could make initially, they made ten games ago now, which was to change the coach. Um, in that span of time, have you seen? Anything that suggests to you that there is real improvement potential? Has there been players who have developed or, or you know, tactics that have been developed that you think eventually are going to come good? Or are you losing faith? Yeah, I'm beginning to, to lose faith. I've been trying to hold on to it. And I haven't been entertaining uh, questions from our listeners about relegation up to this point, just because I think mathematically it doesn't even make sense to do that. And it's just not productive or helpful. But you know, as time goes on, obviously that becomes more and more of a concern. And when you continue to um, fail to see evidence of, of a significant turnaround in the team, it, you know, it just gets harder to to keep the faith. But um, I mean, I think if there's anything you could try to hold on to, it's just uh, the emergence of a, of a couple of the Kanapichmita products. But a lot of that is more, you know, by virtue of necessity than necessarily uh, what's the word I'm looking for. Like they, they haven't merited it, I guess, through some of their performances. But I mean, you're, you're seeing like, you know, Bouyeleb, up top, sometimes as a striker, or, I mean, like, or in a pairing up there, and that's not really his best position, ideally. And um, so it's difficult to know if that's something to be pleased with the, the Capuchmita product we're seeing, or if it's really just a desperation move because of the lack of uh, squad building and squad planning we can do with the, with the financial situation and everything. Yeah, I mean, I, I really wish I could come up with some things for you, but it, it's 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 really it's really difficult to find them. I guess the only other thing would be. Under Manuel Baum, you can you can kind of see a slight change in mentality. Like I said, for parts of games, you can see a more consistent shape. It's it's a slightly more discernible to figure out where people are supposed to be and what what they're trying to do. Uh, David Wagner at times, it, you really could not figure out what was going on in the pitch at all. So I guess that's that's a that's an improvement. But this is really you know absolute basic bare minimum type stuff that most teams do in their sleep. That seems to be like you know a, a huge obstacle for us at the moment. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to to be completely doom and gloom about this because you yourself said, and I agree, that in the first half of the Freiburg game, Schalke looked fine. Um, I think that they were actually extremely unlucky not to win 
uh, in Augsburg. And I think that there were one or two other um, games this season where Schalke probably outplayed their opponents and just didn't get a win out of it. Is there a sense uh, for you and, and for a lot of your either, you know, co-podcasters and listeners that sometime you're going to snap out of this and, and think the, the ball's going to bounce your way? I'm not sure if there is that sense. Um, uh, I think that Richard and I on the podcast uh, have been among the more positive people in, in the community, at least from what I'm seeing um, online and on Twitter. Obviously, that's not representative of, of the whole. It's a small slice of, of you know the fan base. But um, I mean, yeah, there were people that were defeatist going into the season. There were people that were defeatist prior to David Wagner's termination and, and very, very early in the Manuel Baum's tenure. But I, I do think it's it's fair to say at this point, um, we're kind of past the honeymoon phase. We're kind of past the, the, the phase where you would expect to see things turning around under Baum, and we're still not really seeing it. it it's, it's fine to talk about um, you know, the team collectively putting together a 45-minute performance, but at some point this actually has to translate into consistent points and ideally wins. And when it's not, it's just kind of difficult to week after week parrot out the same lines about like, yeah, you know, we saw some stuff and there's some improvement for periods of time, and at the end of the day it's all the same result. I'd like to hear a little bit because you know, we, we discussed – you know, the, the match from the weekend uh, for for a little while, uh, just because there are some pretty dramatic things that happened in it. But I'd like to hear from a, a Schalke fan's perspective, um, what was kind of going through your mind when um, you saw someone who is arguably your best player, Mark Oot, you know, really take a brutal hit and it looked for a while like he might have suffered a, a really serious injury. And I, I hope that that's not the case. I know a concussion is nothing to, to sort of sniff at, but you got to be really glad that it's, it seems that he is going to come through this all right, right? Absolutely. It was, it was a really scary moment on the pitch. Uh, you don't often see people, even when they do have head injuries or sometimes are knocked unconscious, you don't see them be flying through midair as they become unconscious. And so he was unable to protect himself in any way during that fall and, and kind of landed almost. He landed on running his foot without protecting yeah, himself. Really, his neck was in a weird shape. Yeah, it was it was not it was not fun to watch. Um, and obviously he was down for for quite a while. Um, there were you know 15 minutes of stoppage time at the end of the first half, which I think you know helps demonstrate the severity of what that injury was. Um, fortunately, he looks like he's okay. I'm not sure if we have a timeline for when he's going to be able to return yet, but um, I mean he already issued videos in a number of posts where he seems to be all right and on the mend and hopefully it's not much more than him just kind of getting through whatever concussion, concussion protocol exists and there's nothing long-term or, or lingering for that but yeah definitely scary and Mark Boot's been a guy who has had a really interesting journey at Schalke just because um, I think he kind of failed on his promise a little bit after we initially signed him from from Hoffenheim and, and kind of fell out of favor and didn't really seem to ever get going or get any chemistry with what was happening on the pitch um, and you know ultimately goes out on loan uh, last season is sort of a castaway and then because of, once again, the financial situ uh, situation and the lack of overhaul that we're able to accomplish, um, you know, our biggest signings going into the season were some of the guys who had been outcast previously, Bentaleb, Sebastian Rudy. Um, but to, to Mark Root's credit, um, somebody I have been critical of in the past has been maybe the biggest leader on the pitch, both in terms of, um, you know, leading by example and then also some of the things he's come out and said in the media. I think, I think he's very much affected by what's going on. You can see that he cares. And so to lose that guy in that manner as well was, was an extra hit psychologically just because of how important he's been to the squad so far this season. You mentioned the financial difficulties going on at the club now. Obviously, you know, you, you can't just conjure money out of nowhere. Uh, or, or perhaps <laughs> perhaps you've tried that in the past. It didn't go that well. <laughs> but is there a sense among, you know, Schalke fans that 
um, some of this fiscal prudence that the club has has seemed to 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 to, to rediscover its passion for um, might well end up bringing some really really bad consequences. I mean, I know that you can't, as I said, conjure money out of nowhere, but if this club saves and pinches pennies all the way down to the Zweite Bundesliga, that's not going to look good and it's not going to feel good for anybody. Yeah, it is a difficult situation. Um, and I think the problem at the moment is is the revenue that we get from the Bundesliga is essential for us to be able to right this ship over time. Um, whatever situation we're in at the moment, if we lose that Bundesliga revenue and go down to the Schweizer Bundesliga, our situation is only going to get worse. And then you add to that you know, the number of players that we either have to offload just for financial, for not financial reasons, or maybe they have clauses in their contract where they can leave if they get relegated. You know, who knows what's going on? But um, it, there's a lot of Schalke supporters that I've seen. Once again, this is not necessarily representative, but already talking about like, you know, what, what do you think we should do to rebuild once we go down? And I think despite the Bundesliga, it can be much more of a quagmire than people give it credit for. You're not just going to go down there and necessarily pop right back up right away. Um, and we see we see some big teams recently, you know, that that have, that have struggled to make that jump back up. So uh, in that sense, I think it's something we should very much avoid. But yeah, there's a lot up in the air right now. You're, you're hearing talk um, from Jobs and other people uh, in the hierarchy of the club about potentially outsourcing the professional department and very much changing sort of the fabric of the club as fans uh, see it. Um, Schalke is one of the few remaining, you know, uh, teams that are still that, uh, the EV, um, not that I'm the most educated on all of that, but it, it's something that the fans care deeply about. And I think they feel as though um, if we were to be forced in that direction, it would be less because of outside forces and just sort of that's the way it's going, as opposed to mismanagement of the club's leadership. And so I think they're less willing to give that up because they feel like it was a situation that we weren't forced into necessarily. It, it, maybe we could find a different way out of it. All right. Let's circle back to the the stuff on the pitch. You mentioned a couple of uh, you know players who have come up from the Knappenschmiede uh, this season, or who have you know begun to make a, more of an impression this season. Who's caught your eye the most, and do you reckon that there might be further reinforcements coming from from that direction? Because certainly at this point, when when you've tried just about everything else, I mean, bringing in some a few more kids wouldn't couldn't hurt, right? Yeah, and I think that's that's always been one of the positive things about Schalke is that we do have that to fall back on if necessary. Obviously, you don't want that to be a significant portion of your squad, and you'd ideally like to be able to uh, give these these kids chances as they deserve it and fit in with a larger picture. You look at guys like Sine and, and uh, you know Julian Draxler and Max Meyer, these kind of people. Um, you don't want a significant portion of your eleven to be uh, you know under a certain age, but um, you are talking to the the founder of the Free Katucha movement. Um, <laughs> indeed, indeed. So he, he's yeah, he's not a recent he's not a recent call from the Cabbage Meter, but somebody that we still feel could make more of an impact if he was given uh, more chances and chances that weren't second half cameos once games are already lost. Um, I do think his his twenty minute cameo today against Freiburg. Uh, was a little bit underwhelming in terms of the work rate, especially because if you're going to be on the pitch for 20 minutes, I would expect you to be a little bit more active and uh, not try to manage your energy as much. But um, yeah, beyond him, uh, Chan Bosduan, who sort of floats between being an attacking midfielder and a holding midfielder, but he's somebody who's pretty tidy on the ball, um, seems to be able to connect well and, and combine, and also has an eye for for um, some creativity going forward. Uh, Nassim Bulyalev is the other guy I mentioned. He's somebody who I feel has been a little bit more inconsistent over his time at Schalke, but also hasn't been given a ton of opportunities prior to this season. And uh, 
didn't exactly cover himself in glory in this Freiburg match, but the two games before that, I thought that he was one of the brighter spots as well. Th- those are kind of the main guys. I guess the only other shout out would be uh, Malik Chow, who's been working at center back and then also left and right back because we're so <laughs> we don't have the depth there that we need to um, after losing John Joe Kenny back to Everton and Daniel Caligiuri and really bringing in no one besides Kylian Ludwig to replace him, which we only have because of his connection to uh, Manuel Obama, the Germany you set up. But yeah, so those would be the guys I would, I would kind of keep an eye on. Matthew Hopper, the American has come up recently yeah, where, as well. Where, did, where in the world did he come from? He was not, I mean, I knew he was vaguely at Schalke, but I didn't know he was anywhere close to the first team. And then suddenly, you know, you, you get five or six attackers either hurt or suspended and he's, you know, playing 70 some minutes in a game and, and and he's been given a couple more shorter chances. What what do you make of him? Yeah, I, th- no, I think you're right. I don't think he was particularly close to the first team. That's kind of what I'm trying to get at is I think some of these opportunities have been given out of necessity rather than merit. But um, I think he can't, he was in like some sort of local U.S. Barcelona affiliate academy back, I think, wherever he came from was it Arizona, maybe. Um, but that's not suggesting that he was actually in some sort of real Barcelona system, but uh, came to Schalke from there. And, um, you know, we, we lost Ibisevic because of his contract situation. We lost Gonzalo Paciencia to injury, Mark now. So uh, very thin up top. You can see we're playing Bouillab up there. Matthew Hoppe comes in to get his opportunities. Um, he, I, I like some of his movement off the ball. Um, I, I do think he has a decent IQ for the game in, in that sense, in terms of finding space and providing his teammates with options. Um, certainly not the paciest, a little bit, uh, I don't want to say lazy, but um, yeah, maybe maybe lazy with his passing at times. Very small sample size. I don't want to be critical of this guy either because it shouldn't be his job to be scoring goals for the first team at this point, and we shouldn't be putting a lot of pressure on him to do that given the situation. Um, certainly not his fault, the, the, the situation that we're in, but yeah, he, he reminds me a little bit in terms of sort of the language movements that he has of, of like a Haji Wright another American that briefly had an opportunity in the first team and didn't really impress too much. So, I mean, certainly one to keep an eye on and, and maybe he'll get a couple more cameos prior um, to the end of the season here, but uh, he's definitely going to need to show something if I think he's going to get more minutes going forward. Not a ringing endorsement with the uh, Haji Wright comparison there. Definitely. Not. He's doing better now, uh, you know, outside of Germany. Of course. Absolutely. Absolutely. But, yeah. It seems he's either found his level or found uh, found a team who sort of support what he does quite well. Because, you know, Sweden Sweden's treating him right. Yeah, probably maybe more of the former, but certainly a combination of both, you'd think. I and mean, once again, and Matthew Hopper, like I said, I don't want to be too critical because it's a very difficult situation for, for any striker to come into, um, given how just offensively bereft of creativity or ideas that we are at the moment. Um, so it, it's certainly not on him to come in and suddenly be the plug and, and change everything. But yeah, his, his, his brief cameos haven't been, you know, world beating so far. All right. Before we go, I want you to do two things. I want you to give me a, a, a prediction for the match on the weekend. And I want you to plug your podcast to all of our listeners who don't already listen. <laughs> Prediction for the weekend is, uh, is, is tough. It, it is Bielefeld. Um, if ever there was an opponent you think that Schalke would be capable of overcoming, um, it would be that one. Uh, just to stay optimistic through the end of the year, as I kind of promised that I would, I'll say we're going to get our first victory this upcoming weekend. Uh, not a lot of confidence in that, but I'm just going to put that on the line and, and, and hope we get that. Um, as for the podcast, yeah, Schalke America, um, Richard Carmen is the host. I'm his co-host. We release episodes basically weekly throughout the season, um, talking about 
the games, but also the news surrounding the club um, on and off the pitch. You can follow us on Twitter at Schalke America, um, which is just M-E-R-I-C-A added to the end of Schalke, because uh, we are both uh, in the United States. And you can listen to us on uh, you know, YouTube, SoundCloud, iTunes, wherever you listen to most podcasts. Spectacular. All right. Well, I, I hope you do get that win over Bielefeld. Bielefeld are, are coming into the game also on their own. Not so great uh, note because they, they did lose on Wednesday. That was a 1-0 loss to uh, Augsburg. And because uh, you, you got to get that monkey off your back so you can go back to losing on uh, match day 14. All right. Thanks so much for coming on Talking Foosball, Jack. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. All right, folks, uh, that, that's all for this edition of Talking Foosball. You can, of course, uh, find us on Twitter. You can subscribe to us. You can give us a great review. And uh, tell all your friends. Best of next and all, y'all.